You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health Podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds, like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Hello, I'm Teresa McKee, your host for A Mindful Moment. Thank you for joining me as we explore ways to increase mindfulness in our day-to-day experiences. Mindfulness is presence, awareness. It's paying attention to what's happening within us and around us. Mindfulness increases our emotional, physical, and mental well-being. It can also enhance our focus and productivity, and there are many health benefits from practicing mindfulness and meditation, from lowering blood pressure to increased longevity. Perhaps most importantly in today's chaotic world, mindfulness strengthens our ability to be more compassionate to ourselves as well as others. I don't always notice how completely draining technology can be until I step away for a day or two. It's so critical to almost everything we do. Yet the eye strain, body stiffness, and most importantly, continuously broken and interrupted thoughts leave me feeling exhausted at times. When I take a day or weekend away from all devices, I realize how much better I feel than during my normal daily routine. Technology is one of the ways we end up trying to multitask, and it's in that effort to do more than one thing at a time that we overload our minds, leading to feeling scattered or overwhelmed because our brains can't really process more than one thing at a time. Monotasking is a skill that anyone can learn. It is also an integral component of mindfulness as we stay focused on the present moment and what's right in front of us. I spoke with Thatcher Wine, author of The 12 Monotasks to Do Everything Better. Drawing on research in psychology, neuroscience, and mindfulness, he breaks down 12 everyday activities to strengthen our monotasking muscle so that we can rebuild and expand our attention spans. When we focus on what we're doing, where we are, and who we're with, we can rediscover our ability to enjoy life, connect with others, and succeed in all that we do. 
Thatcher Wine is a successful entrepreneur, dedicated father, and cancer survivor. He is the founder and CEO of Juniper Books, a company that specializes in curating libraries and designing special edition book sets. Thatcher is the co-author of For the Love of Books, Designing and Curating a Home Library, and his work has been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and on CBS Sunday Morning. Hello, Thatcher. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. I have to tell you, when I first saw the book, I thought, how could there be a whole book on monotasking? And then I read it. It was excellent. Really great descriptions and exercises and the scientific evidence. So thank you very much. So before we get started on the monotasking, I would like to ask you a question related to technology because it is scattered throughout the book how it is a distraction in most areas. And so I'm wondering if first you can explain to our listeners what the attention economy is, because I think there may be some people who don't fully understand it. That's a great question. So, you know, we all live the same moment in time, right? Here here we are in the 21st century. We're recording this (laughs) on our devices and we all carry these smartphones around that have all these, you know, apps, you know, cool things that we think are made for us to communicate with other people and connect with them and be more productive and do our work and all that. And a lot of those apps and, you know, the software and stuff are free. And I quote at least one or two times in the book um, from someone named Tristan Harris, who used to work at Google and has done a lot of thinking about the attention economy. And I think he runs something called the Center for Humane Technology. And he has a great saying in there, which is basically like, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. And it's something that people don't realize, like your attention essentially is the product for a lot of companies that have grown very big and very powerful. And the attention you give them and their advertisers, the time spent on the app, the time you look at notifications, the time you use their software, like that has a monetary value. And essentially that is what the attention economy is. The economy, you know, that people traditionally think of as the economy was more historically about goods and services that you purchased. Not everyone's aware like how valuable their attention is to companies that want to kind of harvest it. And it's really valuable to us. And that's really what monotasking is about, is kind of like reclaiming our attention so that we know when it's being distracted and hijacked by companies and we can put it towards what we want to put it towards, what's valuable to us, what we we want to get done. Perfect. Yes, thank you. Because I think that might help motivate people as we discuss monotasking, to set the device down sometimes, because I don't know if they realize how I think it is manipulative, but these companies are trying to get you to stay on the devices, which then again, tends to cause people not to monotask. My listeners are very familiar with my frequent reminders to stop trying to multitask. And part of the reason for that is from my perspective, monotasking is a very mindful practice, and it also helps build our mindfulness skills. So I wondered if you could discuss what neuroscience tells us now about multitasking and how it can negatively impact our well-being and our health. Studies have been done about, you know, whether people can actually multitask. (laughs) And they basically all arrive at the same conclusion that only about 2% of people in the population can actually do two things at one time. There are different conceptions about multitasking, what it is, and, and different definitions of like background tasking versus task switching. And so the the neuroscience around it essentially arrives at the conclusion that when you think you're multitasking, you're not multitasking, at least for 98% of the population, you're not actually doing two things cognitively. In background tasking, yes, you can fold the laundry while you listen to a podcast. 
and that's, you know, no one's going to get hurt. <laughs> You're not too much brain power is required for that laundry. It just becomes kind of a habit. And, you know, on the other hand, when we try to do two things, like a lot of people are doing these days with working from home, you know, being on a Zoom call while answering an email on the side and telling, making their kids lunch over here and all those things, you know, people can't do that. And not only do we make mistakes, but our work quality is less. We're less present in the conversations we're having and the relationships we have. And there's not as much work done on exactly what's going on with the neuroscience around it, but the studies all report like a general sense of feeling overwhelmed and like there's a cognitive bottleneck when we try to multitask. And it's hard to like put your finger on exactly why it's happening. But generally, when you think you're doing three things, you're not getting any of them done and you feel stressed out about it. And so that's really, you know, a large reason I wrote the book was to kind of help navigate our way through that and bring some awareness to when we're multitasking and instead monotask. Things might take a little longer at first, but you'll feel better and you'll do better work and be more present. Absolutely. You get more done. I've been practicing monotasking for quite a while, but I kept a chart of how long my work days were before I did it and after. And I gained about two or three hours a day by switching to monotasking. So I am in complete agreement with you there. <laughs> I love hearing that. You make a correlation in the book between reading and meditation when it comes to our state of mind. So I was wondering if you could explain why reading is so good for us. I should say for our listeners, reading is one of the tasks that you have in the book to learn how to monotask. But I really enjoyed that chapter about the effects of reading. So I was wondering if you could share that a little bit. Absolutely. I love talking about reading. <laughs> I love talking about books. My you know, whole background for the past 20 years has been starting and evolving a business called Juniper Books. And we make book sets and we curate libraries around the world. I think a lot about why are books important? First of all, why have I dedicated 20 years to encouraging people to read and have books in their home? And you know, one of the conclusions I came to a few years ago was that it's not just about the information in the books. It's not just about the entertainment value of a story. It's that when we give our full attention to the printed page, we get our attention back stronger, and then we can apply it to other parts of our life. And reading is one of the few things in this like digital overload world we live in that requires 100% of your attention. You can't do it if you're only half paying attention, right? If your mind wanders while you're reading, you have to go back and read it over. It's not like watching a movie where you can kind of half pay attention. So when I was thinking about the book at the beginning and thinking about this idea of monotasking, I was like, reading is a true monotask. Like it requires you to pay attention fully. And what if we could bring that same level of attention to other activities in life and do them as if they were like reading? And the other monotasks are things like walking and listening, creating, playing, sleeping. And we'll talk more about some of those. But it all started with reading because I think it is a very meditative act. The studies that have been done on the, the benefits of reading, you know, have shown that readers tend to live longer. They tend to have a calmer nervous system. For me, like it really is one of the few things that just, you know, really grounds me um, if I'm stressed out, especially like if I don't have time to read, like that's when I really need <laughs> to go sit down and read. And for me, it's very much like meditation. So as you mentioned, you do provide very detailed explanations about monotasking, everything from walking to thinking to eating and sleeping in the book. I'm wondering if you can share a few tips with our listeners today on how to get started, you know, to applying monotasking in their day-to-day -day lives. So the great thing about monotasking is you can really do it anywhere, anytime, and with whatever you're doing. The book goes into the 12 monotasks, which tend to be things we do sometimes every day, definitely, you know, once a week. 
and the idea is to recognize like if this is not something you have to wait until you you know have some vacation time and can go you know take a retreat or something you're going to do after you get out of work like you can do it at work for as little as you know a moment or a few minutes and so the book goes into there's an exercise or two in each of the chapters you know as an example when you go for a walk you can leave your, if you feel comfortable leaving your phone physically behind, you can, or you can just leave it in your pocket and, you know, resist the temptation to listen to music or, you know, take it out and scroll through social media or make a call. Like, and really try to be present on your walk and see things you've never seen before, hear things you've never heard before. And, you know, that's monotasking. So monotasking, it's not just like productivity at the office. It's really, you know, mindfulness that you can practice anywhere you are. Absolutely. I was fascinated as I went through because, as I said, I tend to monotask, but I really hadn't realized with a lot of my mindfulness practices that they are monotasking. I find that it's very difficult to get people to really believe, because as I said, I've mentioned this many times in workshops and on the podcast, that really our brains can't multitask. They task switch. And I try to give them images, like picture your brain smoking. It just cannot keep up with all those switches when you're trying to do five things at a time. But I've even had a corporate executive say to me quietly, don't tell my staff that they can't multitask. Do you think it's that we've been just so conditioned to get more done in a day than is humanly possible that we cling to it thinking that's the answer? Yeah, I mean, I, I think multitasking has been glorified and celebrated culturally, you know, as like... If you can multitask, you, you're a hero. And the most successful people are multitaskers. I don't think that's really the case. I mean, when I looked into it and I look at people like Oprah Winfrey and Reese Witherspoon and Warren Buffett, you think, you know, how could they possibly get everything done unless they were multitasking? But they also happen to be some of the biggest readers around. And I wanted to look into that correlation. Are they successful because they're readers? Are they successful and therefore they have time to read? Not really. I mean, I think they're able to, you know, build their focus and ability to get things done by monotasking and by doing things like reading and doing more self-care. And I think these days, you know, especially with social media and, you know, everybody who's very involved in that, you know, has like some fear of missing out. And all these people are seem to be doing all these things and doing so well at it, having this great life. But I think the reality at the end of the day is that, you know, we're all human. Our brains work in pretty similar ways and they're not built to multitask no matter how much our computers that we, you know, as humans designed can multitask, like it doesn't make us able to multitask. So I think some of that has to be reversed in terms of the, the cultural celebration of the multitaskers. And we should celebrate the monotaskers a little bit more. And I think we do, we just don't talk about it. You know, people like musicians and professional athletes, like they're incredibly focused when they're doing their work. They can't be thinking about what happened yesterday and what, you know, to do to this for tomorrow. And they can't have their phone in their pocket, you know, while they're on stage by, you know, X number of people. So it's out there. It's just that there's something about multitasking that looks more interesting <laughs> than, you know, seeing one person do one thing. But, you know, I think we, I think we can change that. I think that you really hit that on the head because I think we've been conditioned to think that that is like a badge of honor. And so everyone brags about how well they can multitask. And in fact, as you mentioned, productivity goes down, error rates skyrocket. It's just not productive. Plus you miss, I think, and I know you include this in the book too, but I believe in personal communications, you are then missing so much of what's being conveyed because you're trying to do something else at the same time. 
that isn't good for relationships. It's not good mm-hmm. for conflict resolution. It's not really good for anything yeah. when humans are trying to communicate with each other. Okay, I was somewhat dismayed to read in the final chapter of the book that you believe our lives are only going to get busier. And while I wish that wasn't possible, I can't say I disagree with you. But is this why you think monotasking is the next frontier in wellness and productivity? I do. So I describe in the book a little bit about kind of the trajectory of you know, how we've gotten to the present moment and what may happen in the future. And I think tying it back to what we talked about before with the attention economy, like the profit incentives are there to just get more of our attention and not only to get our attention right now, but like to say, oh, actually this moment isn't just this moment. There's three to five to eight of these moments. And so I'm going to like sell all these ads and put them all you know in front of you. And so that's what kind of what forces us to multitask, not just the ads, but like all the temptations to kind of jam back our present moments. And I think so long as that's working and profitable for companies, the world is just going to get more and more distracting and our devices are going to get more powerful. We've gone from seeing, you know, 500 ads a day in the 1970s to about 10,000 advertisements a day right now. We can't even, I mean, if you tried to make a list of the 10,000, you wouldn't even know what you're seeing. Some of them are, you know, very subliminal. (laughs) So I think, you know, businesses are just going to get more sophisticated about that. And, and so what I think what we have to do is develop what I call our monotasking muscles, because nobody else is going to help us in the future besides ourselves, to be honest. And we need to develop the strength to navigate our way through this very distracting future, control our attention, decide who to give it to. We can decide, you know, like, hey, we want to just tune out, rest on the couch, watch Netflix, keep a laptop open, have dinner in front of the TV. That's fine. Like if you consciously decide that. But there are other times when like you should be super present and not have your phone out while you're eating and just focus on, you know, does it taste good? Where did it come from? Who am I with? Can I have a conversation? Things like that. So I think it's really about, you know, reclaiming our attention and that control by building up our monotasking muscles. And and the way to build up your monotasking muscles is to do things like reading for 20 minutes a day would be great. Going for a walk, maybe 20 minutes as well. And even when you just do things that seem like they're super relaxing and you're not actually doing anything like playing, like going to a concert or going for a run, like do that with your full attention. And if you do that, that's monotasking. That will strengthen your monotasking muscles and you'll be able to apply them back at work or in that, you know, a date and have a conversation with somebody and you'll notice things you never noticed before. And so I think, yeah, it's really important as we make our way into the future for all of us to do that. I absolutely agree. I think one of the important lessons, and it really ties into this multitasking and being scattered and being mindless a lot, is that it really is a shift. And that's why I asked you to explain the attention economy. It's a shift to recognizing that those distractions are someone or something else demanding your attention instead of you driving when you want to use something. So I have no notifications on my phone. I may not see a text message, you know, for a whole hour or two, you know, and then I'll notice that it's there and then I'll respond. Even the notification distractions, that's monotasking. If you're trying to work on something or read something and you hear a ding or a blip or a little Mm -hmm. tune, it's pulling your attention away. So I really want listeners to think about that. You can use your device all you want. If it's what you want to do and, and you use it for work, you use it for pleasure, but make it where you're using it. Because you've decided you want to, not because you're bored and there's all these flashy bells and whistles drawing you in. Mm. And then, of course, as you mentioned, the horrific amount of ads 
it's really a subtle form of not brainwashing, but I guess someone else trying to control our minds because they spend a lot mm-hmm. of money on psychologists to figure out how to get us to keep looking at that, mm-hmm. even when we're doing other things. So I really appreciate that insight. Yeah, no, I think you described it perfectly. And, you know, we feel like we're getting something for the time we put into our, you know, our devices and our technology and, and whatever. But if you really think about that in terms of that equation, like, am I really getting more than I'm giving? And, you know, the two things that are very limited in our lives are, are time and attention. And we should be judicious about how we give them away and then put them to things that are valuable to us and to the people we love and care about and the things that we really want to get done in life and not just like be like, oh, this is pretty and bells and whistles and flashy objects and all that. Like, therefore, it gets my attention. I think we can be a little bit more controlling of, of where we give it. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I would ask, because a lot of people are addicted to their devices or technology, whatever it is. And so if they decided to make this kind of a change, I can imagine that it might feel boring, like to take Mm -hmm. a walk and not look at your phone the whole time you're walking or observe something seeing is one of the tasks to monotask. Do you have any advice for listeners and how to make that transition? Like, what did you do the first few times when you felt bored just doing one thing? Yeah, boredom is like a real thing. Um, I think you know, we grew up in an era when like, it was okay to be bored. And you like, went and invented a game to play or some imaginative story, or went and read a book. But these days, like, we don't have to be bored anymore. If you go to a restaurant waiting for your food, you're bored, you take out your phone, like you don't have to strike up a conversation with the person next to you. So I recognize that it's it's hard. And it's something that people just aren't familiar with. I have two kids that are basically teenagers. And like, they don't really know how to be bored. We're working on it. <laughs> but, you know, so all there are 12 monotasks in the book. Like, they're not necessarily going to appeal to everybody. And some people might be like, this one's boring or I can't do it right away. But for, you know, what we're talking about here, like a couple of them that might be really good are the playing monotask and the sleeping monotask, or maybe the creating one too. And we'll talk about sleep for a second. You know, sleep is something we all need more rest and more sleep. Like, we're just kind of overwhelmed with our to do lists and, you know, just the pressure to always be doing more and making more money and traveling is maybe exhausting, commuting, all those things. And so if you just think about, I could use an extra hour of sleep. How do I get that extra hour of like good quality sleep? If you monotask it, you really do two things. So you're thinking about during the day, like, okay, what time am I going to go to bed? Does that give me enough time to get seven or eight hours of sleep for the wake up time, which tends to be more fixed for getting to work and things like that? getting your kids to school. And then, you know, can I set up my bedroom to be more comfortable? I sleep like basically in a pillow fort (laughs) with all these pillows around me that wedge me in. Some people have a weighted blanket. I like the pillows around me. And I only figured this out essentially by monotasking my sleep. So I have to like come up with some tips and tricks that work for me and other people will find the ones that work for them. You got to think about it while you're wide awake during the day. And then at night, I like to keep my phone in the other room. So I don't use it when I'm going to bed. I don't reach for it in the middle of the night. If I do wake up, it's not the first thing I do in the morning. All those things collectively help me get like 90 minutes more sleep and it's better quality sleep. So that's monotasking. You know, we all have to sleep every day. You don't have a choice of that. (laughs) So if you have a problem with like being bored with some of the other monotasks, like that might be a really good one to start with. Excellent. Again, because monotasking is so intertwined with mindfulness, a lot of times what I recommend to people First of all, they're going to go through an adjustment period, right? Because it's a change. But boredom can be another mindfulness practice. Instead of getting upset that you're bored, use it as a learning opportunity 
what happens when you're bored? What happens in your body? What happens in your mind? What does it feel like to be slightly uncomfortable? And boredom doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just feels uncomfortable. So you can use that as an opportunity too to build your mindfulness skills, which is paying attention to what's going on and consider the habitual patterns related to mm-hmm. the devices. I'm not anti-technology. I just think they're not smartphones. I say this all the time. They're just devices. Only we can be smart. <laughs> so if you use that device to help you build monotasking skills, mm-hmm. then great, right? Keep building that practice. I'm not anti-technology. I'm, I'm pro paying attention. And even if you're paying attention to your boredom, that's paying attention. Oh, that's you know? true. Well, I really, again, enjoyed the book and I appreciate your time today. Can you let listeners know where they can learn more about you or and the book? And I believe you have a tips website for people that are yeah. trying to learn to monotask. So I created a website called monotasking.tips. So it ends in .tips. And there's, it's basically meant to be a companion to the book, the 12 monotasks, do one thing at a time to do everything better. And there's a bunch of links from there to order the book at different bookstores and online. And then there's also, I'll be adding more information to the blog about here are some apps that might be helpful for, you know, limiting your device usage. And here are some studies that have come out and things like that um, related to mindfulness and monotasking. So definitely check in there. It's a good way to keep in touch. Excellent. I thank you for writing the book because I think it's a necessity in life at this point. I don't know how much more people can take being scattered, you know, in 50 directions at once. So this is a great guide to get you back on track. And it does help you do things better. (laughs) So uh, if you don't believe it at first, just try one of the exercises and start to notice the difference. And then I think you'll be sold. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. Really appreciate it. It was a fun conversation. Thanks again to Thatcher Wine for sharing his knowledge on monotasking. You can find a link to his book, The 12 Monotasks to Do Everything Better, on our website and find support and information on monotasking at his website, monotasking.tips. You can practice monotasking with everything you do. Eating, shopping, learning, thinking. Just do each task by itself, one thing at a time. As you pay more attention to what you're doing, you'll find you do it faster and better. You'll also find that you feel less stressed and scattered. Improved health, better mood, stronger relationships, increased productivity, and less overwhelm all make monotasking a skill worth developing. And of course, monotasking strengthens your mindfulness skills, so there's really no downside to trying. Until next time, we can live better lives and create a better world. All it takes to get started is a mindful moment. Work to Live's Dynamic Coaching Certification Program is a self-paced online course series that strengthens emotional intelligence and mindfulness skills, along with relationship building, communication skills, time management, self-motivation, and more. Visit our website for an informational video on the program. You can also find resources for self and leadership development, as well as the latest books by authors we interview on this show. Go to worktoliveproductions.com slash book club to start shifting your quality of life today. 
And be sure to visit our YouTube channel at Work to Live, where you'll find videos of our interviews, animated shorts on daily living and working, guided meditations, and more. Please subscribe to A Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And rate this podcast so that others can find us. Follow us on social media at Work to Live. A Mindful Moment is written by Teresa McKee. The English version is hosted by Teresa McKee, and the Spanish version is translated and hosted by Paola Tile. Intro music, Retreat, by Jason Farnham. Outro music, Morning Stroll, by Josh Kirsch, MediaWrite Productions. Thank you for tuning in. This podcast is produced by Work to Live Productions. 